Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 113. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week is a solo cast all about why each of us needs to make taking care of ourselves a priority. And at the end of the show, I'm including some real life examples of how I've experienced burnout and what happens when I make self-care a priority, even just recently. If you are new to Jumpstart Your Joy, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited to have you here, and I hope that you are having a wonderful December. I know it gets so busy, and so I felt like this was a great time to hit the pause and talk a little bit about why all of us need to make self-care or taking care of ourselves a priority. It comes up now during this busy season as much as it does any other time. And so focusing on it now and starting to make it a priority will definitely give you a little bit more room in your days and hopefully a lot more joy in your lives. As you guys may or may not know, my day job is as a project manager. And it's something that I have done for about the last 19 years. It's a really great gig for a multi-passionate person, which is somebody that has more than just one thing that they want to do with their lives, because there's such a big variety in the number and kinds of projects that I get to do. And I love so much that this skill set is portable, which means I can do it in different kinds of industries. I don't talk about this side of my days very often, mostly because I have such a passion for being a certified coach and podcaster. I really love to talk about the opportunities that this show gives me to have conversations and explore the other aspects of myself that I don't get to do necessarily nine to five. This show has become an outlet for for something that I long to do after I moved on from leading retreats, which I had done for 11 years, and also as a side gig. And I love this show because it's something that I can do while I'm also a mom and a wife and juggling all the rest of things. <laughs> the other day, I was thinking about a couple of strange events that I have seen happen on site at my day job. And neither of these things were at the place that I am employed currently. One of the things that you factor in when you do project management and you're creating new processes and policies is that you generally build in a fallback or a contingency plan, especially in the case of something that may have an emergency component to it. So you kind of ask those questions about what happens when the thing that you're creating or implementing fails, like if the server stops working or it crashes or the work is inaccessible by the people that need to reach it or we have a natural disaster. Because basically failure means you can't use the thing. And then, of course, it's not of use to anyone. (laughs) And, of course, living in California, I'm in Northern California, there are a fair amount of natural disasters that we face. At one of the places I worked, the team had thought of everything – Um, in air quotes, about handling emergencies. So like I said, we live in California and the earthquake situation is real. And contingency planning or backup planning has to cover the question of what happens if our website and the access to it goes down and the rest of the company or our user base, the folks outside of California, needs to get to it. 
um, because some of this was had financial implications and accounting implications. And there was people way outside our area that used the services that we offered. The answer for this is that the servers that these things are based on need to have a backup and the files would get saved there every night or regularly. So if the main server goes down for any reason, the secondary server gets repointed or renamed as the primary, and all the traffic gets redirected to that space. Instead of the server that's down and everyone getting a message, it just behind the scenes would repoint you to a server that is active. And all that can totally happen within minutes. It's not a big deal. You know, people will even roll over to their backup servers sometimes when they're doing maintenance on the on the primary server. So not a big deal. In one institution that I worked at, there was a car that hit the power lines outside of our offices. And it took down the power, and we had to evacuate because there was a concern about fire erupting in the building because they weren't sure what had happened because I think there was some sort of substation involved. Anyway, so we had to evacuate. Meaning we got out, everything was fine. But the backup generator powered our internal servers in the building, didn't ever power on. And looking into that situation a little bit more, we had outsourced the maintenance of that generator. And... Uh, had a group of people that a service vendor that came in to make sure that this generator would power up and that it, you know, it had enough gas and that it would work as planned if something needed to happen if there was an emergency. And they'd signed off the last time they'd visited that it was working. And yet when we needed it, when we needed that generator to come back on to kick our internal servers back on, it sat dead and lifeless in the parking lot And our IT team was sitting there next to it, very worried that massive amounts of data would be lost. And of course, in the same moment, they were also kicking themselves for having outsourced maintenance on the very thing that could have saved the situation. And the thing that, you know, in hindsight, of course, becomes very apparent is that the generator in the parking lot looked good, right? Like it was there. We literally saw it when we drove in every morning. We knew what it was for. And it gave us a sense of security. But when we needed it, it never powered up. Here's another related story. Um, And I'm sure everybody has these kinds of stories. I love thinking about them in hindsight. In another workplace, the HR team helped plan for emergencies by handing out red backpacks to every employee, and we kept these at our desks. Each year at the earthquake drill, which is what, (laughs) sometime in October if you live in California, we took our backpacks out to a park across the street and stood in neat little organized circles with our larger work groups. Head count was done, and we all confirmed that we knew what to do. Here's the evacuation spot. We all have our backpacks. We're ready. It was helpful Of course, it is. It's always good to practice things so you know what to do in an emergency. And I felt like we were covered if we needed to get out of the building. But I also, but thinking back on those backpacks when we opened them up when we were back at our desks, it was (laughs) kind of ironic to find out that the food they'd given us in the backpacks was outdated, and as was the water. And those were the only two things in there. If you needed anything else, they told you to bring your own shoes and put them in there and be ready. Now, given I don't really fully understand what this backup, you know, what these backpacks were saving us from, because in my own case, you know, obviously my priority, should something truly go down, would have been get the keys, get to my car, and get to my child. (laughs) So I don't know what this red backpack was going to help in that situation, but appreciated it just the same. The thing that stood out for us all was that it was the outward appearance of safety that was there. But if any of us really needed the help, 
these backpacks were just a facade. And here's why this stood out for me. I mean, I'm thinking back on these two strange situations was that this kind of contingency and emergency planning and the weaknesses in both have a lot in common with the way that so many of us, myself included, tend to treat self-care. And and here's what I mean by that. So you and I both know that self-care is important. Just like these companies knew that contingency planning and emergency planning is so important, both to their business, but to the people that they work with. You and I have both read the books, I assume. I know I've read several books, listened to podcasts about this topic, and I know I know what to do, right? I, and that's never been the question of like, what does self-care look like? And and maybe a quick definition of that. I think self-care is anything that helps give you more spaciousness, more ease, and kind of room for contentment in your life. It's it's And it's going to look different from every person. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But it's not necessarily those quick fixes. It's how do you build a life that has some spaciousness and ease in it? And how do you keep yourself both mentally and physically well within the life that you have? So that's that's what self-care is. So I've read the books and I, and I know what it looks like. I also know that I need to make time for this in my life and that that would take planning it out, kind of like these companies knew that about an emergency or contingency plan. And so here's here's the honesty point, and maybe you've seen yourself in this space as well, is knowing these things, I know that while I'm a coach and I'm a podcaster that talks about joy, I oftentimes will also put up a really great public facade, and whether that be truly public or with friends and family even sometimes, but I want to make it look like sometimes that I am spending perhaps more time on self-care because I know it's important than I actually am, right? Like kind of putting on the show of it. So some of these examples maybe you've seen in your life or with other people as well is, you know, we we all love to get, take a good picture of the mani-pedi we got, even if it was only every, like every six months. <laughs> you know, we really like to take the picture of when we go get that done or the pictures of a Starbucks run, or, you know, maybe that one moment in the in the winter when you have your slip your slippers kicked up on the coffee table and you've got candles in the background. Or maybe you take a look at the pile of books on your nightstand, the ones that you wish you had time to read because that would be relaxing and enjoyable to you. But sometimes, you know, we put on the spectacle. I'll put on the spectacle of, look, I did all this because it's hashtag self-care. And that's the thing that I do because it's kind of expected in the circles that I run. All the while knowing that there's other things going on behind the scenes that I'm not totally sharing, you know, about the times that my kid's late to school or, you know, I didn't shower for a couple days or whatever those things are, you know, the house is a mess. Like, <laughs> I feel like those will all equate to self-care for me. And if I'm not doing it, then something's going on. So don't get me wrong on this. There. I want to be very specific in saying this, that there is nothing wrong with taking a break and taking pictures of those things and putting them on social media. I think that is fun and awesome. I think it's the the line that I find myself not always being totally clear on or able to deliver on for myself is when it really is just a once in a while occasion that I am doing these things and then making maybe a bigger deal of it than it actually was. 
you know, like if it's not a routine and I'm, you know, Instagram bragging about it, then there's a problem, right? Like for me, my ideal for self-care would be that it's baked in and it's part of a routine and a habit for me that I'm doing day to day instead of it being a once in a while thing. And so let's let's get into that. Like if it isn't a routine and a priority and it's baked in as habit for you, where do I see myself? Maybe you see yourself standing in the spectrum of this instead. I think baked in routine happening all the time is one end. Knowing we need to do it, maybe not doing it all is the other end. But what are some of the places that maybe we cheat a little bit? Scenario one in kind of this gray zone is token efforts that leave us feeling only somewhat satisfied with this piece of self-care because it's not a way of life, right? And and I think the example for the of the contingency emergency planning is the backpack, right? It gets handed to you. It's basically a token. The HR department knows that you should have a backpack with food and water, but it's not a way of life. This isn't something that they're digging into that's not, you know, they haven't fully thought it through. And so the token is there, red backpack, but the full-on prioritization of the thing is not, meaning you've got food and water that would sustain you. The token might be mani-pedi every six months, but then the problem is that it isn't all the time. It's the one thing you're doing every six months, and it's not sustaining you. It's not the kind of self-care that would help you through your day-to-day because it's done so rarely, and that's why I'm calling it a token. Scenario two in this gray zone is half-assing it and not really making it a priority. So let's look back at that other example that I shared about the generator not going on. I have this mental image of one of my coworkers that day, and he is an extremely conscientious person. He's essentially in charge of like that whole line of business, so the servers and the backup and the IT department that powers basically a lot of transactions, that's the data that would be on that server. And so I have this mental image of him sitting on the curb in the parking lot, his head in his hands, and then he kind of basically rolls over into a fetal position because he real as he's realizing what's happened. The generator hasn't gone on and all of the day's transactions are very possibly lost. At this moment, the EMTs walk over because they see him kind of <laughs> fall over. And they're on site because of, there had been a concern about fire. And they were asking him if he was going to be all right and suggesting that maybe they needed to take him to the ER because it looked like he was having such a huge response to this problem. And, and that problem being that we may have lost all the transactions for a day. And what's the equivalent of that for our self-care? Because he acknowledged, right, everybody in the company acknowledged, like keeping the server up and running is a priority. We're going to even pay to have something else as a backup. It's such a priority. But then the priority wasn't there to maintain to maintain the thing that would kick on if we needed it. So I think that's maybe in our own world, uh, the similarity is knowing we need to do this thing. And maybe you even pencil it in on your schedule or your calendar for the week, but then you don't actually do it. Or you pencil it in, but something else happens and so you let it slide. For me, I know I have subscribed to a mailing list for a workout group and I have never once been to the workout itself. But I feel guilty about maybe unsubscribing because then that means I really am not taking care of myself. The irony being, it's like the generator. Well, it never came on anyway. I've never done it. So (laughs) I could just unsubscribe for the list or I could decide to actually go do the self-care. The other thing that's interesting to me about this scenario is 
that we know we need to do self-care, but if we're deprioritizing, oftentimes it leads us to that point where we really don't do anything about it, meaning taking care of ourselves, and we ignore the fact that we need it until we're exhausted and overwhelmed and burnt out. So we let it go on and on for so long that we can no longer ignore that we need to take care of ourselves. So it gets to the point where either the generator isn't powering on or you're the person lying on the curb and people are asking you if you need help. And I think this happens because we're often moving so fast in our lives and everything else seems like a priority that we might think we have a backup in place, but it's really apparent that we don't and it isn't apparent until we really need it and it doesn't work out. So are you guys still with me on this? <laughs> Do you see yourself someone somewhere in there? Maybe just a little because as I say, I know I do and that I do both of these things. So one of the things I love to do each January is to go to a spa, which is so awesome. And there's these amazing pools there. And then I know that I'm totally guilty of going then full tilt overdrive for like five months, you know, the first five months of the year. You know, and I'm kind of, you know, there's some fulfillment and satisfaction having been to the spa for that one day. But then by June, I am just, my energy is gone. I've crashed. I feel burnt out. And it's because there was no mindful slowness built in. It's that slowness and that ease and that spaciousness that is really the thing in question. In episode 102, I said something about savoring the slowness and my husband, who is also on my email list, hi, honey, <laughs> um, he texted me like 30 minutes after the email went out for that week. And be sure you get on the email list. Um, but his text said, I want to savor slowness. How do we do that? And it really, like, I think that's really the question, right? Like, we all desire slowness and spaciousness and ease. And you can interpret that for whatever it looks like for you. I mean, for me, I desire the, the ability to take a nap on a weekend without the feeling of guilt <laughs> that I should be doing something else. And that would be slowness, right? Like, just take the nap. I desire to have enough space in my days so that I don't constantly forget to do the things that I want to do. Or that if I say, you know what, I really wish I had time to write this person a note, that there's time in my day for that. And I, and I think the reason we don't make time or the reason that self-care doesn't get prioritized, it kind of boils down to two things. Uh, and the first one, it comes to me in a quote from Greg McCowan, which is the author of a really awesome book called Essentialism. If you haven't read it, it is amazing. I will link up to it. And his, his quote might seem like somewhat obvious, but if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. But if you are determined to prioritize your own life, you can. So the thing here is if you don't set up and defend your own self-care, something or someone else will for you. Some people might call this setting boundaries. And I will at another time do an entire episode about setting up boundaries and what that might mean. But in the examples that we've looked at, like the IT department they kind of did a few steps to cover off what they knew they needed to do. But in the end, neither of those things was enough. And by not prioritizing the maintenance of both the server generator and double checking what was in those backpacks, those two companies are actually defaulting and therefore agreeing to make something else the priority the day that a, a, an emergency happens for them. 
because they aren't making the generator a priority and because they aren't making the backpacks a priority, guess what does become a priority? Instead of it being getting back on to business as usual, we hope, it means someone's going to have to figure out how to reinstate all the data that was lost. It's not we're going to go back in and make sure people can log into the site. It's no, now we're going to have to spend countless hours finding data. And the other example, instead of making what was in the backpacks a priority, now instead of having a meal maybe before people are able to go back to their families or get on with business, we're going to have to go find food and water for our people to eat and drink. So it forces, since those two things were not taken care of, it forces something else to be the priority. The second quote that really comes to mind for me is one by Liz Gilbert. And this is one that's really impacting me right now. And it's around self-care, but also around other things. Uh, And this is, I've never seen any life transformation that didn't begin with the person in question finally getting tired of their own bullshit. I love this so much. I mean, I love transformation anyway, but it feels like this is kind of the bookend to Greg McCowan's quote, that if you're not prioritizing your own self-care, then maybe it's around self-care, but then you will eventually get tired of your own bullshit and be forced to make a change. Maybe not forced. You could keep living, you know, with no spare time and feeling frazzled all the time. But more often than not, your your hand is going to be forced here because there's a breaking point in there somewhere around feeling frazzled and not addressing your own self-care. And it's often that breaking point that means you have to dig in and become determined to make a change. One thing that I know about self-care is that it looks so different for each of us. And kind of reflecting on this, you know, getting tired of my own bullshit, I'll share that I knew things were getting dicey for me in the amount of time I was giving myself to get ready in the morning when I could never find two shoes that match. I could just never find it. Like, look in the closet, I couldn't find two shoes. And I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. It was also getting to that place where I wasn't leaving myself time to shower if I also wanted to get my kid to school on time. So my breaking point where I got tired of my own bullshit was actually where it began impacting my son and he got a tardy slip because I had not planned enough time for us that morning. And it was kind of like the wake up call and the reality piece because I couldn't hide from the truth anymore. My inability to get ready and to leave myself enough space, aka self-care in the morning, had started to impact our day and I couldn't brush that aside. So let's look at why this is hard because that means, okay, I'm facing that I need to make a change, but why is this change hard? The change I was looking for is more space and ease, which I would call self-care. And for whatever reason, I wasn't really willing or maybe it was that I wasn't able to make this change, even though I've said for years that I wanted to have more spaciousness in our mornings because it stresses me out. That meant that I would need to get up earlier in the morning, which in turn would mean that I also needed to get to bed earlier. And I have a very strong story that the only time, and this story would be something that isn't necessarily true, but that I treat as a truth in my own life. I have a very distinct and hard-formed story in my life about being protective about my evenings because that's when I do a lot of work around this show. So there are a lot of difficult things baked into why each of us do what we do. For me, it was that story, like that's the only time I have to make the show. And so I've also built in, and you probably have too, when you're trying to make change and it's difficult, there's a whole system of habits that reinforce the things that we do as well. Unraveling them is hard, and our ego or some part of us is going to fight us making those changes. 
So I finally got tired of my own bullshit and I did set my alarm 30 minutes earlier. It was that one small change. And I want to reiterate that, like draw a big line under this. It was one change. That's all it took. I was fighting it with all myself, like fighting it with all my might, but it was one change. Set the alarm earlier, see what happens. What happens? I start to go to bed earlier. I get up 30 minutes earlier. And then I can find shoes. I shower in the morning. And now we are on time. So so what happened was I made the change. I made the decision to make being on time a priority. I made one tiny change. And that is all that it took. And so I think that's important to acknowledge as well, that sometimes these changes that seem so difficult are really very simple. And it's more the fight that we're putting up around it that makes them hard. So then let's round this out by looking at what happens or could happen when we make taking care of ourselves a priority. The first thing that I loved hearing about on um, Andrea Owen's podcast, which is Your Kick-Ass Life, in her episode 181, she had Heather Chauvin on, who is a mental health expert. And she talks about how when we take care of ourselves, we are able to pull from source instead of pulling out of our own power reserves, which is huge. Let's think about that for a minute. So the word source here would mean we're pulling from a larger power, right? Like whether you want to call that divinity or inspiration or creativity or divinity or the universe, you're pulling from a power source that's much bigger than yourself, an endless power source, something that has endless reserves. But then when you think about your own self, you and I only have a very limited amount of power and reserve for ourselves on a day-to-day basis. It does need to be recharged daily so that we have the room and the space and the ability to deal with things in our lives. So when we make self-care a priority, what happens? Well, we are then attuned to source or we're pulling from a higher power and a larger energy source and our power and our, and our abilities are coming from there. If we aren't making self-care a priority, then we are just completely depleting ourselves, kind of like a battery. It's kind of like the generator that doesn't get checked. It doesn't power back on. And that's where we get burnt out, right? It's, It's a really applicable energy term for an energy issue, burnout. It's real. And it, it happens when we're pulling only from our own reserves. But by self, by focusing on self-care, you can pull from a different power source. The second thing that I see is setting a tone for the people in our lives by building in real breaks and by giving ourselves permission to experience and value slowness, ease and spaciousness. We're setting this tone for the people around us. I mean, whether that's with your boss or your coworkers, you are silently showing and telling them that this is how I treat myself and this is what I will put up with. I'm going to go to bed at midnight and that's how I roll. (laughs) But you have to take the stance and put in the boundary for that to be something that you are doing. But then that will cascade amongst the other people and how they treat you and how they see themselves. I think the other thing that happens is that it allows us to do an assessment on what we really want in our lives. Self-care means we're looking at all of those aspects of our life. And so in this situation, I would encourage you, if you're saying, I wish I had more time for self-care, Why not take the five minutes after you're done listening here and write down the priorities for your life? Self-care will be on the list or should be if that's what you're considering. But I want you to name two or three things, maybe five. Priorities should not be endless. There should be a finite number of them. And that allows you to focus on those things. And the fourth one is that by prioritizing self-care, it leaves us a lot more room for joy in our lives. 
And joy is that feeling that we just know deep within our bones that is way beyond happiness and contentment, but that is fulfilling, that is connected to source, it is your purpose, and there's more room for those. And, and sometimes joy shows up in the tiniest of moments. I think for me, one of the things about giving more ease and spaciousness to our mornings that is so important is that it allows me to experience those tiny moments with my son. We can have the giggle about what the dog just did, or we can stop and have a discussion about what we want to do on the weekend when we have a few more moments in the time to enjoy each other before we rush out the door. But when we are go, 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 we do not have that time. We are in a reactive, which is an exhausting state, whether that be in your morning or wherever it is. When you're in reactive all the time, you get worn out and you are not honoring the space and the creativity and the easefulness that you need and desire. So once you slow down and make that a priority, other things become more easeful and you have time to stop and enjoy the little moments of life and the little joyful moments of life. So I hope this has given you a little more insight about what happens when we prioritize self-care. I would love to hear about what this has brought up for you and if you have questions or thoughts about self-care and how to prioritize it in your world, you can email me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com with your ideas and thoughts. I would love to hear it. Or if you want to get some of the information about the things that I talked about in this solo cast this week, the show notes for this episode are at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 113, and there you'll find the links to the book Essentialism, the interview that Andrea Owen, and she's going to be on in this next month. I'm so excited. So that interview she had, and a link to the article by Liz Gilbert, where she discusses what she means about transformation and finally getting tired of your own bullshit. So you can find all those there on the show notes. And while you're on the website, be sure and sign up for that free joy plus you class, where I share lots of ideas on how to find more joy in your day to day. The class will be getting a real fresh rework for 2018. And here's the thing that I'm super excited about is adding in some Facebook live events um, for the community here where we can all share and you can we can see each other and all that. So I'll be announcing those dates on the show and also on the email list. So be sure and sign up. You can do that right on the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you're loving the show, uh, while you're on the website, there is a subscribe link now on the top navigation at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you choose either an iPhone or you're on Android, it will give you a couple really easy options on how to subscribe. So you'll get the episodes each week as they come out on Tuesday mornings. Next week on the podcast, I am doing a revisit of the most downloaded episode on the podcast ever, which is my interview with Sarah Von Bargen of the very popular blog, Yes and Yes. Sarah joined me in May of this year and that was on episode 86. So we talked about the crossroads of money and happiness. And I just felt like it was such a great discussion. And I know you guys loved it so much. It's so pertinent this time of year. And I wanted to round out the year with that really important message. And so I wish you guys all the happiest of holidays. I hope you can stop and slow down and savor some slowness as you go. And that you will come on back next week. And until then, I hope your days are filled with so much joy.